Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. In this episode, I'm going to talk about things I learned in 2020. I usually don't do like an end of year reflection or even like big goal setting for the next year. I know those are really popular topics around this time of year. Actually, I mean, people are always talking about either setting goals or doing some kind of productivity, something or other. And for whatever reason, I usually don't do that. I feel like I might do sort of an ongoing reflection maybe every month or six weeks where I'm like, what did I just work on? What am I going to be doing? Kind of plan it out that way. But yeah, I usually don't do like, hey, I'm at, my goal for 2020 is to do you know, 15 different things and list them out. Sometimes I have, you know, a quarterly goal where I'm going to produce a certain amount of content in a certain area that is more likely. I usually do more of that kind of stuff. But anyway, I was sitting down thinking, oh, what, what kind of episode do I want to do? I have some freedom and be loose on this. So I decided to hit just things I've learned because 2020 for many people was a little crazy, little bananas. And I think during those times, people can learn things or have things reinforced, which a couple of mine are in that area. So I think it's still kind of a learning because people, I mean, you should most likely change your opinion in certain areas as you get more data. And I think you know, for example, if you uh, if you have some specific outlook, if you think X, but you continue to get more information about X and things related to X, maybe you change your mind. In politics, maybe someone would call it flip-flopping, but I mean, if you re- remove yourself from politics, and I'm not political, by the way, so that's why I'm using some weird arbitrary example of X. If you get more information and you learn more, I think it's smart. Smart people change their mind on things as they learn more and get more opinions. If I think back, I'm I'm 41 right now. If I think back to when I was, say, 30 or 20 or even worse, like 18, man, it seems like I didn't know anything. I, I feel... I'm embarrassed for myself just thinking back how much I didn't know. So I've definitely change my opinion on a lot of those things. Or like I said, I'm going to go over some stuff where I've reinforced things. So there's a couple areas, a couple areas. One's around things that I like doing. And I think this is going to shape some of the stuff that I'm going to be working on in 2021. Like I said, I'm not big on setting like yearly or annual goals or anything. I just kind of I don't know. I just keep plugging along. <laughs> so, so here's some things that I, I realized I do like pretty well. Writing has been fantastic. And you may think writing is r- really just like writing a blog post, but I haven't been writing as many blog posts this year. I kind of miss it. And I kind of want to get back to some sort of long form content that is written, i.e. blog post. But I have been doing a lot more writing for podcasts. If I prepare a lot ahead of time, I may write out, honestly, (laughs) really the podcasts are often bullet points. But if I do think things through, a lot of times I'll end up with a tighter episode. On the YouTube side, I have been writing a lot more. 
it helps a ton to script out my content, tighten it up, read it out, make sure it flows properly, edit it again, and just really hit it hard. So as I've put out some content this year on YouTube that has been scripted, not an interview, not live streams, but a scripted, planned out video, it has done better across the board as far as uh, like the, the click-through rate, all, all the metrics that you can view on YouTube, it does much better. And one of the biggest ones is the percentage viewed and the watch time. So if you don't script out a video, a lot of times you'll end up rambling on, repeating yourself, maybe going on a tangent that is unrelated and doesn't help the content. If you script it out, you don't do that. So I have worked really hard on some videos to make sure that I keep it tight and don't go on a tangent and stick to the script. Those do much better. And again, the same sort of idea is editing. So editing, revisiting, and making sure that it's as short as it can be, it's as long as it needs to be, and not any longer than that. Another thing that I've written is courses. So some people, eh, you know what, I'm not sure what other people do for um, some of their courses. Sometimes it's more fly by the seat of your pants. And I know some people, when they're doing content, video content, that is, they just want to have bullet points and they want to riff on it and they don't want it to be too planned. For a course, at least the way I do courses, you need it to be concise and tight. Tangents are not helpful. Tangents will confuse people. And with the, with the courses, they can be too long. So I've written out uh, three courses this year and I got help on one for some of the, you know, sort of core copywriting portion of it. But I wrote out, actually, I'm not even sure how much. Some of the courses were huge. I did um, three courses this year, multi-profit site, I did site growth plan, Haro link building. Multi-profit site is a huge flagship course with many, many hours and dozens of videos. It was, you know, a beast, a huge amount of work, uh, a ton of uh, marketing materials were put together as well. I did work with um, the crew over at Internet Marketing Gold. So it's internetmarketing.gold over there. They helped me a ton with marketing materials, emails, the sales page, um, a, a lot of the other stuff. So even with all of all the help from them, it was still a huge amount of work. Super fun. That's another thing that I figured out. I really like to work on courses. I like creating them, marketing them, iterating because from where I sit and again the way I do courses, I want to I want to ship it and get it out there. The material is tested and actually pretty rigorously used so I know that it will work. But when you translate it into a course and someone has to interpret it and then implement it themselves, you, you may have to iterate on that. And from my perspective, it's it's great to have a course because you create it and then you can sell it many, many times. But it doesn't mean the work is completely done. You need to continue improving it and changing it. Sometimes a landscape of whatever you're teaching changes a little bit, especially with Google algorithm updates that are out there. So as far as things that I like, writing is good, 
courses are fun. I really enjoy both of those things. And luckily, you know, they all work together. They work together pretty good. Some unre- like unrelated to business, I don't like hot weather. I don't like humidity. I visited Georgia in the South in July and August of 2020. And I hadn't been back during the summer for like five years or something. And for the people that don't know, I'm from the Atlanta area, Atlanta, Georgia, the suburbs. And in 2015, my wife and I moved to Bozeman, Montana. We stayed up there for about four years. And now we live in Longmont, Colorado. The West, uh, especially around the the Rockies there, it's pretty, uh, it's fairly dry. Um, At least where we are in Longmont, it's dry. It doesn't rain very often. The weather is usually sunny. And even when it's cold or cool in the fall and winter, usually the sun will come out and it doesn't feel too bad. It was much colder in in Bozeman, but it was rarely um, super hot. It was rarely um, humid. And yeah, I I got back to Georgia and I was like, this is just terrible. I, I don't know how people do. I sweat a lot. I just, I like it to be cool. I could always put on a jacket and deal with that. But Oh my goodness. I, I don't know how I had a corporate job and we put on like business casual, you know, slacks, have a undershirt on and then like a dress shirt. I, luckily my job wasn't so fancy that I had to wear like a suit or a tie or anything, but I mean, just wearing, uh, I mean, this sounds, this is what it was like when I was a kid, just wearing pants in the summer. And the fact that I wasn't supposed to wear shorts to work, man, that just drives me crazy. So anyway, low chance I'm going to be back in a hot, humid area in the summer ever again. I, I just can't stand it. It's terrible. Okay. Back to business stuff. I'm pretty good at shipping and finishing projects. As I mentioned before, I finished three courses in 2020 after a multiple year hiatus on creating new courses. So it was great to do that. I, I, I'm not sure what got into my head at some point, but I used to kind of stall and I would want to do more research like many people do. I wanted to make sure I didn't put out a product before it was ready. I, I wanted to not make it perfect, but get it as close to perfect as I could. And that often just delays things. And it turns out, I mean, you're never going to get it perfect. There's always going to be some little mistake. There's going to be some issue. A lot of times these little issues or mistakes are kind of subjective and it can really pull you away from the core thing that you're trying to do, which hopefully is shipping that product getting that product out. I'm good at finishing shit. I'm good at executing on a plan. Deadlines are my friends. Multiple times in the last uh, 18, 24 months or so, I've planned on taking a lot of time off. The biggest and, and probably the most fun was in the summer of 2019, I was going on a road trip. Basically, I planned on not doing anything for roughly five weeks or so. Uh, I was out of town for four weeks and did a road trip up to Alaska. It was awesome. I was really unreachable and off the grid for 
large chunks of time. I didn't have like an international data plan on my phone. So even if I wanted to, I couldn't check my email or do some other things like that while we were on the road. It was fantastic. And with a deadline looming ahead of me where I knew I couldn't do anything, it's awesome. You can get a ton of work done that way. Same deal with multi-profit site, for example. I knew I was shipping that course on a certain date. I knew the launch date for a while and I focused really hard, finished it when I actually a little bit ahead of time. I finished it sooner than I thought and I can get it out the door. Not always perfect. It's never perfect, but the important thing is getting something, you know, shippable and done. There's many quotes around this. I think one of them's like perfection is the enemy of done could be messing it up. Most of those words are in it, but you get the point. If you finish something 80% or even 95%, but it's not ready to ship, then it's kind of worthless. It may as well be 10% done. So if you are struggling with uh, finishing things, let me know. Actually shoot me an email feedback at doug.show. Explain your situation and you know what the holdup is. I find um, you know it's easy to put off work and do some other stuff. And sometimes we do something slightly productive that keeps us off the, you know, the main, the main goal. Continuing to research is one of the classic ones where you just keep gathering more and more information to try to get it better. And and, and you're hoping the result is going to be better because of that. But really you're just putting off the work. And you're disguising it with something that's kind of productive. You can convince yourself it's productive, but sometimes you just have to execute. It's a it's a crazy balance, right? Because you, you do need to do some research for whatever it is you're doing, most likely. You have to do the preparation, whatever it is. Um, if you were, for example, like building, doing like a some sort of a woodworking project, let's say you're going to build a, some shelves or something. You, you have to plan ahead of time. You have to understand what your finished product is going to look like, probably some incremental things along the way so that you know the tools that you need, you know, the materials that you need. And it may help you come up with sort of a timeline of how much, how many days, how many hours it's going to take you to work on that project. So all that's useful. I get it. You do have to do some planning and preparation, but if you were to plan and plan and plan, continue to get more and more info and then watch more YouTube videos and more and more YouTube videos. At some point, you know what you need to do. You just have to you know, get out the saw and uh, the measuring tape, maybe some screws and a nail. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the point is, sometimes you just got to get out the fucking hammer and build the shelf. You know, you got to do the work. So get it out the door, finish it probably you're if it's the first shelf right if it's the first shelf that you're building it's not going to look perfect but you'll iterate on the plan you'll probably do a better job the next time so one other thing actually before we go on to the next one i gotta thank a sponsor out there ezoic and their site speed accelerator if you want your site to load faster you should check it out they guarantee an 80 or higher on the Google Page Speed Insight score. And I, I do recommend, I mention this often, try to get your site 
loading as quickly as you can on your own, you'll get better results at the end of the day. So if you know for a fact you have you know, 25 plugins running and you know that you have some that you don't use, some that you thought were a good idea, turn off those plugins that you don't actually need. In fact, I encourage you to take a hard look and make sure any plugin that is running is actually essential. I usually just have plugins that function for uh, like a core piece of something I just can't do without, like security or making sure the site is backed up off of the main hosting server and some external source. So the point is try to get your site loading as quickly as you can. Ahead of time, you'll get better results. Ezoic has a seven day free trial so you could check it out to see how it performs. And you will be able to do sort of a simulation. So if you go to Ezoic, follow the link in the show notes here. If you put in your URL, put in your domain name, it'll do a, a quick little test. I think you could actually put in a specific URL. So maybe you wanna check one of your highest traffic pages, maybe not your homepage. So you can see what the PSI score is and then what it potentially could be if you use a site speed accelerator. So check it out. I do recommend using the DNS integration, not the WordPress plugin. With the DNS integration, you'll be able to get better caching, the CDN, which is a content delivery network, and it just loads faster. So use the DNS integration. You'll thank yourself later. And I think that's about it. The cool thing with Ezoic, I've been working with them for a while. I hopefully can do these reads effectively, but I didn't even read it. I'm just doing this from the top of my head these days. So thanks to Ezoic, I appreciate their ongoing support and do check them out just you know as a show of uh, support for the show if you have not yet done so. Okay, going back to the topic, one thing that I have been really good at, now, now we're gonna talk about things that I'm good at. So one thing that I've been good at over the last couple of years is taking time off. So I alluded to that before, but there have been, some big things that I've had to to do. One, I've moved like twice in the last couple of years. So one from Bozeman down to Longmont, and then we moved out of our apartment into a house. So in both of those cases, I took quite a lot of time off packing, physically moving stuff, setting things up. And I mean, I did some work, but I took a large amount of time off. So another situation where I had firm dates, firm deadlines that I had to work within and I was able to take the time off and do what I needed to do in my life. Huge, giant luxury. I mean, it is, I, I can't even put a price on it to be able to take that amount of time off. And we're, we're talking, you know, for each of those moves, roughly a month, roughly four weeks of me, you know, maybe checking in max one hour a day. I mean, I'm pretty detached. I mean, it's amazing when I think about it, but it's it's a very fortunate position that I find myself in. I've also taken that big vacation. And then here in the last um, year, uh, my mom was very ill with cancer and I was able to spend time with her and with my dad and help out um, just with all the things that go along with that. So I've been very good at pausing. And as I've done that and realized like, 
it's a great opportunity to basically not overwork myself and like live life where it's very easy to just keep pushing and keep going and kind of lose sight of like the actual goal of what you're trying to do. So I think probably that's going to shape some of the stuff that I'm working on next year and the next year. And maybe if I find myself working on things that I don't like as much, I'm not going to do them anymore. And that's maybe why I started this show talking about things I'd like to work on. Because if there's things that I don't like to work on, I'm probably not going to do them anymore. There's no, there's no point. There's no point to do it. So another thing that I am good at, and wow, there, there's so many now that I'm looking at my list here. I'm just kidding. There's just a couple. I'm good at long-term goals. And this falls into a couple categories too. One is just showing up. Like say I'm going to do something and continue to show up and do it. This podcast is a great example. This is roughly... 206 episodes. I think it's the, I think the episode is like 206. I've done a few more than that actually. But the point is I've been putting out two per week for about two years, which seems just a little crazy, but it's awesome. I really love the podcast and I'm going to keep doing it. The other thing is YouTube. I've put out so many videos on YouTube. I've hit the point where I've burned out in different areas and had to figure out how to pull it back and make sure that I'm doing something sustainable. A lot of those were in the form of like interviews. I love doing the interviews and talking to people, hearing their stories. And that made it a lot easier to keep pushing through with YouTube. As I'm looking at, hey, what do I want to work on? I've tried to figure out, okay, how can I do well on YouTube, taking what I've learned over the last few years and then pairing it together with something I like, which is writing. So I am figuring out, hey, sometimes these videos actually do better if I do something that I enjoy, which is writing and editing and improving the material, refining it before I just throw up a video, which is what I did for several years. Just it's what I needed to do to be sustainable back then, to just get a video out, just like learn some of the mechanics and publish, publish videos. And now I'm at a point where I can refine it a little bit more, make sure I enjoy it, make sure it is something that is sustainable. Speaking of long-term stuff, I also have done, I mean, the markets have been crazy this year. So I'm mainly talking about like the the U.S. stock market, but with the way that I'm investing, which I am not a professional, consult your own professional. I'm just explaining this for the example so you could hear, you know, what I typically do. I do take money off the table from my websites and I have put it into long-term investments. So for me personally, in recent years, I've really focused on taxable accounts. So these are basically investment accounts with uh, E-Trade. So I am using E-Trade, which uh, this is not an endorsement. I, again, just use them because the bank that I was with before um, was purchased by E-Trade. So I, I moved over there and I was like, hey, this interface looks fine. Seems fine to me. So I mainly have 
index funds, grant, not Grandvard, <laughs> Vanguard index funds, total stock market. I think there's a total bond market. And I tried to make it a little more complex here and there. But I mean, really, if I just would have put it all into the total stock market, it would have been fine if I would have done an S&P 500 style index fund, it would have probably done a little bit better. It was up and down this year. I mean, there was a, a point in time, I think it was uh, late late uh, February, maybe early March, that time frame where I think things bottomed out, but things went up and down and blah, blah, blah. The thing is, if you look at it on those shorter time frames, you could have made decisions that were catastrophic, right? If you would have purchased or sold on the worst date, you'd be in trouble. And the, the reason why I put this into the long-term category is I've been um, doing this for a, f- a few years, right? And I am not planning on pulling that money out for a very long time. I have been talking to and getting more uh, sort of enthusiastic about the financial independence movement and some of the ideas in the FIRE movement where they talk about financial independence and retire early, but I usually just try to remove that retire early part. It causes some issues if people continue working and uh, basically other people get upset, right? I've, I've talked about this on a couple episodes, but essentially the financial independence, that's solid. No, no one's going to argue with saving money, not going into debt and looking for the long-term returns. If you're looking for short-term stuff, you can get yourself into trouble, but generally the the long-term view works out pretty well. So another thing that I did, you know, a long time ago when I first started working at my corporate job back at Accenture, I invested and maxed out my 401k when I was, you know, right out of school. It took a little bit longer in school, so I was like uh, 20, I think it was like 24, 23. It was almost 24. It was like 23 and three quarters. All right. <laughs> we want to be technical. And I just, I put it away. I put it away back then and maxed it out knowing that I was living, you know, relatively um, inexpensively and I, I could afford to max out my 401k back then. So there's, you know, a decent amount of money in tax deferred kind of accounts out there. So I think it's like 59 and a half before I can get to it. So roughly 20 years. So, I mean, there's a pretty significant amount of money in those tax deferred accounts that I can't get to without penalty until 59 and a half. And that's why I put a lot of money into the taxable accounts because then I can access those already taxed. I'll you know, I don't know all the tax rules to be honest with you, but basically you, um, you can get to those taxable accounts and live off the interest. So that's kind of the idea with the financial independence movement, save, save, uh, a lot of money. They're usually aiming for 25 times your annual expenses. And then you should be able to live on the interest. If you accumulate that amount of money, if you figure out your expenses and calculate that, you may think, oh shit, that's a lot of money. And it probably is. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's enough for you 
to just spend the cash for 25 years. Like that's that's the math behind it. But if you look at it in a long-term view, it's really not that crazy to be able to save it. And if you're young, there's a several people that listen to the show that are in their 20s. And if you start saving early, it's like a no-brainer to make this work out. Especially if you if you don't have debt and you keep your expenses low. I was talking with um, nieces and nephews and stuff um, over the the holidays and just when I've seen them and I'm like, don't go into debt. You know, if you think you need to go to college, check it out. There's value in college. I'm not necessarily a proponent of like, don't go to college. I mean, I have an engineering degree. Like you kind of need to go to college to do some of uh, certain professional gigs. Like you need that education. And otherwise, I mean, you, you can learn a lot now. I mean, if they just shift everything online for uh, the next the next year, the next several years. Um, I don't know if it's worth the amount that you would pay at a traditional university. But the point is, I was like, don't go into debt. Like, go to school. I went to school. I came out with no debt. And, you know, you work. You you work through school to make sure that you don't go into debt. There's a lot of ways to tackle it. So, anyway, I'm going on a weird tangent at this point. But long-term investing, look into it. I mean, if you, if you have long-term goals, it is not that hard to save a huge amount of money with compound interest and attention to the details. So those are a few things that I've learned. I also need to let you know about niche website builders and their shotgun skyscraper campaign that they're running for me. They got started in late July of 2020 on a brand new site that I started just weeks before. And at this point in time, they've been working just over four months or so. I have 42 links and the average domain rating as reported by Ahrefs is 49.1. And that is of, uh, I think it's roughly December 14th when I am recording this. So pretty recent, pretty recent. If you're listening to this live, they've been doing a great job. They've published two pieces of content so far. And kind of the way it works is they publish a piece of content. Uh, It takes them about roughly like three to four weeks to do that content and get it published on your site. In the meantime, right, they're also doing some other stuff on the technical side. Running these skyscraper campaigns does take some setup. They're using some sophisticated mail merge type tools, which I don't even know what they're using these days. I kind of got out of that, which is why, I mean, I would never do this on my own. I have very low interest in setting this up. You have to set up email accounts to use and kind of warm up those email addresses. And if you're totally unfamiliar, this is a campaign. This is a technique that uh, Authority Hacker, the guys at Authority Hacker sort of put this together and the skyscraper campaign and technique is from Brian Dean. So there's a couple layers of things happening here and it's complicated to set up. And like I said, I would never do it on my own, but the guys at niche website builders are doing a great job. So once they get the piece of content published, then they send emails out there and try to get people to link to what is a very good piece of content. There's custom graphics. It's very well researched. I think for my campaigns, um, one of them was about 5,000 words and the other one is 6,000 words. So high quality, long form content. And it's kind of a no brainer for people to link to it if it's a topic 
in their area if it's a, something that they would link to anyway. So they're doing a great job. And the second piece of content, they've been able to get even more links than the first. I believe this is one of those things where the longer niche website builders or anyone is working on a shotgun skyscraper campaign, you're going to get better at it. You'll figure out this kind of content works better. These prospects are more interested in linking to this kind of content. So you refine the process across the board and you're able to improve over time. And that's what I'm seeing from niche website builders. They are, I think they give a discount for this. So 10% discount for their link building campaigns. And if you order content, because they write content as well, they will hook you up with 10% additional content. So there's not a discount on content, but they just, they give you more, they give you more words. So check it out. I appreciate them sponsoring the show. They've uh, impressed me a ton with the work that they've given me. And I know a lot of listeners out there have been using niche website builders. I appreciate it as well. And if you, let's say you've used their uh, content services, but you haven't checked out the link building, check out the link building. It is one of those deals where you're going to have to kind of lock it in for a little while They recommend, I believe, three months as a minimum engagement because it takes a little while to run through the whole process. It just, it takes a little while. And I would highly recommend letting it run for a while. Someone emailed me the other day. They were like, hey, Doug, how long are you going to do this skyscraper campaign? When are you going to stop? I don't have plans to stop. I have have the idea to just ongoing have this... um, ongoing link building, ongoing content production. So I think it's going to pan out over time. Someone else asked how the results are. What impact is this having so far? And I haven't seen a huge bit of growth because of this campaign. The reason why is number one, it's a brand new website. It's still in the sandbox. Number two, it's a very competitive niche. It's actually more competitive than I realized when I started. And this is going to be a multi-year long-term project. So I mentioned long-term things before. I'm good at keeping my head down and, and working and continuing to push forward, adapt when I need to. So this is going to be a long-term project. I hope it works out. Not everything works out, but I think even if I I don't get everything done perfectly, I am getting stuff out the door and I should see some results. Hopefully, you know, six months plus, we are coming up close to six months, but I believe this is one of those niches that's so competitive. It may actually take a little longer than six months, maybe closer to a year before I see good traction. I was talking to my buddy, uh, Ron Stefanski the other day and for, for a while he has said, I give my sites a year before I expect too much out of them. If, you, if you're if you in too much of a rush, you sometimes can make weird decisions that don't have a long-term view in place. And I mean, the fact is, a lot of times if you're aiming for a long-term goal, if your view is long-term, you're going to be able to make decisions that will outcompete people over time. Maybe in the short term, it's not going to work out. But if you have the long-term view you may be able to outcompete people just in general because because you're going to stick with it for longer. At least that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> so it seems to be working out so far. 
If you like these kind of episodes, let me know. I'm always looking for feedback out there and you can email me, feedback at doug.show. You can also leave a voicemail. So the phone number is down in the show notes. You can just, if you're on your phone, you can just click it and call it, leave a message. It'll be helpful if you're in a quiet place, you know, don't do this if you're like riding a bus and it's really noisy or something like that. But if you, uh, if you can step aside, leave a voicemail, would love to play it on an upcoming episode. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my computer recording stuff, and uh, you're listening to it, and I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.